0: Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Hello, Canada. It's uh, Tony here in Saskatchewan.
1: And Lewis out here in B.C.
0: And how are you tonight, my friend? Uh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. How about you? Um, not bad, although it started to snow here a little while ago, and apparently we're going to get two days of nasty cold. It's supposed to get down to minus 30 tonight, and then only up to about 22 tomorrow. Oh, and fantastic. Then, yeah, and then warm up for the weekend again, back into the single digits. So I don't know oh, what's it's going. For that reason, I am so glad I live in B.C., yeah, a little more stability that way, but...
1: or you know, it just never gets that cold.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yes, I mean, we're uh, we're sitting at about four above as the highs
0: right now. So, well, that's got to be hard to take.
1: Oh, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got. Probably- talk about um there's uh a few things that are going on across the country right now um and uh one of the things that we we wanted to talk about was something that you had uh texted to me um yesterday and that was yeah
0: uh... Yeah, go ahead okay yeah it was uh it was actually uh oddly enough a toronto star article kind of reinforce the point I was making to you beforehand and that was uh, that an episodes poll came out and of course everybody knows my thoughts on polls but sometimes when it's not really political I mean they're they tend to be a bit more accurate and it talked about 29% of Canadians being on the brink of insolvency and meaning that they have enough money to pay their bills each month and that's it there's nothing left over. And then yeah, yeah,
1: and minimum payments on credit cards they they yeah. don't have enough money to actually pay down the balance
0: right exactly, and then it said a further nineteen percent bringing the total to forty eight percent but like the additional nineteen percent of Canadians are within two hundred dollars every month of being in that situation where they can't pay their bills, so we're talking forty eight percent so half of Canadians are barely scraping by right now, so where is all this uh this growing economy that mr trudeau talks about when literally half of us can barely barely make our bill payments
1: yeah and that's something i saw back uh last year as well i think there was a poll done back in the fall um like september or so or maybe even earlier in the year uh that said it was around 45 percent. so that's gone up uh, i mean it's probably within the margin of error on the on the polling but sure. um, but i mean that is a a higher number 48% and it's and it's a scary number i mean and it and it kind of goes to what i've been saying about how i think that we're reaching a breaking point and i've said this on past shows where i i said i think you know uh any tax increase is going to negatively affect Most of the people in the country, Um, because don't forget, I mean, that 48 percent, that's just that's people that are either zero or up to two hundred dollars away from not being able to make a payment. What about the people that are three hundred dollars away from making their payments? What about people who are, you know, wouldn't be able to afford the repairs on a, a car if it broke down? Like, I mean, that's that's all. That's that's just above that two hundred dollar being away, you know, being two hundred dollars away from being able to make your payments. So, I mean, the situation is a lot worse than it sounds. It's not just forty eight percent; it's much higher than that.
0: Oh, for sure it is. Because, um, yeah, when you hit on there saying that, what if you needed a car repair, or you know, heaven forbid, what if you had to replace your car, and suddenly you've got a five hundred dollar car payment? Well, that's going to put more than half of Canadians into insolvency. And insolvencies, by the way, are now, this was the Toronto Star article, uh, it talked about insolvencies are at the second highest rate in Canadian history right now. And yeah. I believe that the highest insolvency rate happened in the Great Recession 10 years ago, if I'm not mistaken.
1: It did, yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's uh, so we're, we're basically right back where, uh, where we were 12 years ago.
1: And not to mention, I did hear uh, a report that said that uh, when the economic numbers are released for the final quarter of 2019, that there's a really good chance that it's going to show that we were actually, uh, that the economy contracted.
0: Oh, wouldn't be surprised at all.
1: Yeah, so, and those numbers are probably do sometime this month or i mean it takes a while for these numbers to come through but uh cuz there's a lot to to go through when they come out with these numbers so i mean it's not something that they can just come out with on january 1st but so i mean it does take a while but yeah i mean i i did i have seen some some experts saying that they wouldn't be surprised if we've actually our, our, if our economy did contract in the fourth quarter, and I and I wouldn't be surprised by that either. I mean, we saw the job losses in December. I mean, they were huge.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, there is experts keep talking about recession, but uh, you know, the government keeps saying that that's not going to happen. And I'm starting to to go on the side of the economists on this one and say, yeah, I I can I feel a recession in the air.
1: Oh, I'm seeing it with my own business. Um, Like, uh, normally I would be, uh, a couple of months, like booked up a couple of months ahead of schedule already. And I've got a few weeks booked up right now. So, I mean, it's, it is slowing down and I, and I've been saying that for a while. Um, I mean, I think, I I think on this show, I've been saying it since last spring, like since a year ago. Uh, that that this was going to happen with within a year and it's because I because as a business owner I see the way people are spending money and it was very reminiscent of of 2007 this past year 2019 the way people were just splurging money like like just spending it like there's like they had an endless supply of it and that's how people were acting in 2007
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I think especially for someone like yourself in a more of a tertiary kind of business, that uh, I guess you'll be the one that people withdraw money from first because you're not a direct need, but I mean, you're necessary, but you're not uh, like, you know what I mean? It's it's more of a luxury.
1: Yeah. It's more of a luxury than it is a necessity. Yeah. Um, But yeah. and, And like I said, you know, like the, I mean, there's different aspects to uh you know what i do and stuff like that is is you know i mean one thing you know someone might not might not uh sell their house they might put their money into making that property nicer right yeah yeah. rather than selling a house and building a new one because it's you know cheaper to uh just make the one nicer so yeah Um, so, I mean, we'll see how, how it goes, but I mean, it's, I'm not, I'm not all that optimistic at the moment that this year is going to be, uh, anywhere near as good as it was last year. And so, I mean, like that's, it's, it's been showing signs for a while and that's why I've been saying this for a while.
0: Yeah. Well, and you, and without a doubt, I think your, your predictions are going to come true, unfortunately. So, um, Mm. I want to move on since our, our PM obviously has very little economic sense. And I hate to plug the name of our show, but he also lacks a little bit of common sense, in my opinion. He's yep. now taking a trip over to Africa um, to, to prove that, as he said in 2015, Canada is back. And he's out bribing foreign leaders to try to get that seat on the Security Council.
1: Yeah, and I mean... I think everybody needs to understand, too, is that this seat on the Security Council is temporary. It's only
0: for two years. And yeah, and I, I just heard that. I didn't realize that until actually just the other day I heard it on the news.
1: Yeah, it's only for two years. And they really have zero influence. The temporary seats have no influence and no um, importance, really, because... The Security Council has five veto seats, and that's you know the uh, from uh, the U.S., Russia, um, oh, what is it? France, Great Britain, and China, and China, and yeah. they all have veto power. So if if nobody if if everybody wants to go into say North Korea because North Korea starts flexing their nuclear muscle and the security council wants to go in there and prevent them from launching nuclear missiles. And China is like, mm, no, I don't think so. They just vote against it and it's done. They, there is no going forward after that. Like they, it, and the same thing with the U S if, if the, if the uh, security council wants to send, you know, uh, troops into i don't know let's let's just pick a country let's say venezuela right and the u.s is like no you know what the turmoil down there has been really good for our oil industry so let's uh let's veto that and and then it can't go forward so these temporary seats have zero power and on top of that uh what what can possibly be accomplished in two years? Like there's nothing. Like it, it it's the, the Harper government was right to to get out of that racket. And uh and, and I'm and I'm really disappointed that they didn't go a step further and completely withdraw from the UN because the UN is the most corrupt organization on this planet. Um and you know that when you see that the uh uh human rights uh commission in the UN is chaired by Saudi Arabia
0: oh yeah and um i'm sorry you lost me for a second there cuz when you said the harper government was right i just had, i just started waxing poetically about uh about a past government that i really admired that i haven't had since 2015 <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, well, I know. It's it's uh it's rough right now, man.
0: It is, and you're and you're right about the about the UN being corrupt. I mean it's uh the human rights council is an absolute joke. I mean, not just that it's chaired by Saudi Arabia, but the countries who are members of this, this commission, it's uh yeah, that, that one just actually drives me nuts. But what I think about Mr. Trudeau is he actually started in Kuwait City, I believe, and he's in Senegal now. And I would love to be a fly on the wall in that I would love it if any one of these African leaders was to say, well, Mr. Trudeau, I haven't seen you for a while, but last time I saw you on TV, you were in blackface. Could you explain that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, you got to give Trudeau credit that he's actually showing his face in those countries after that, after those revelations. Um, Either he's got, guts or he's so oblivious to it all that that it that he's like I don't know what the fuss is about that's what I'm going with is he he's oblivious
0: <laughs> let's just take a selfie and forget about it
1: yeah i I don't know I just I'd be surprised if none of those leaders bring it up,
0: yeah, I would too, and i uh I realize that suddenly now the uh, Canadian taxpayer dollars are pouring out for every possible African cause to try and buy some votes. And the more you bring up about it being a temporary seat and reminded me of how little influence that temporary seat will have, it just makes me roll my eyes even harder that, that he's even campaigning for such a worthless position.
1: Yeah, and they're spending a lot of money to do it. Like... yeah like they're spending millions on the campaign and it's like yeah but what do you get out of it nothing you're not getting anything out of it yeah and you're getting a temporary seat that has no power no influence and you're just there to you know i i don't i don't get it, it, it it's kind of like you know getting to sit at the at the uh, adult table at christmas
0: you You know that that, that's actually that you well i think you just hit it right there i think that that's it he wants to sit at the adult table
1: but but that's what it is it's you're the child sitting at the adult table because you you shut up you listen you are to be seen and not heard right Yep. and And that's exactly what this is. This is you know you are to seen but not heard because nobody those five veto seats don't care about your position on anything
0: no one is and it's you know it's not even those those five permanent members who don't care what Canada thinks it's the world doesn't care what Canada thinks anymore. I mean, Justin Trudeau has become a punchline. I mean, yes, in 2015 and 2016, he was popular and it was, you know, the Trudeau brand as they call it, but nobody takes him seriously anymore. Nobody.
1: No, I mean, yeah. Cause I mean, you saw it back in 2015 when he was elected. I mean, it was, it was like worldwide front page news and, which which I still can't understand, but no. it was, and it was, and it was really uh, important for foreign leaders to get their pictures taken with him and all of this. But I think, I think it didn't take very long for foreign leaders to realize there's not much substance there.
0: No, exactly. Yeah, I mean, he was a celebrity, but his star, you know, fell as quickly as it rose.
1: Yeah. Uh, more so internationally than it did uh, domestically.
0: Unfortunately, yes, that is true.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, so but, you had, uh, had mentioned earlier that there was, uh, and I didn't realize that they had gotten so big, but there has been some, some pipeline protests going on which have expanded across the country, which I hadn't realized. So uh hoping you can elaborate on that.
1: Yeah, well, the... Uh, Oh, please forgive me i might get this pronunciation wrong but the uh hereditary chiefs for the wetsu wetsu i think this yeah wetsu yeah. uh, uh nation in bc in northern bc is uh protesting over the uh translink lng pipeline uh that is you know going through their uh traditional territory.
0: That's, one that's um, at, is that correct? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. And now it's LNG, which first of all is probably the cleanest uh natural resource for energy that we've got. Um a leak does not result in a spill it results in the gas evaporating right it's like this is this is like the best possible um uh natural resource uh like energy resource to ship by any thing like by pipeline or anything like this is the best one and every single Uh, nation, like First Nation along the pipeline route that and there's 20 of them uh, have signed agreements uh, with their elected chief and councils and this is the there's five hereditary chiefs that are now protesting saying that they didn't give their consent now I have a, a very close friend of mine uh a full full-blood First nation and I asked him I said you know what kind of power do these hereditary chiefs have and he said none like it's it's a title it's they get you know a little they get some respect because they're uh you know descendants of of the original chiefs right oh, all that okay Yeah, it's bloodline, right? And uh, But they don't have any power. Like, the power rests with the elected chief and the elected council. As it should, yeah. Um, But the chiefs are protesting, saying that they didn't give their consent, and they oppose, and uh, this... This has been building uh, over the past few weeks to the point where now they are protesting in Ontario. They have completely shut off the Via Rail line from Toronto to Montreal. uh, And Via Rail has had to uh, cancel 147 trains so far. Oh, my goodness. And uh, which has affected 24,000 travelers um the protesters uh are protesting in uh or the, they on the island like on Vancouver island they've been protesting at the legislature they've shut down a highway they've shut down the exits off highways uh so people aren't even able to get to work um they've shut they've they're they were protesting on the legislature stairs and preventing uh government officials and mLAs from getting into the legislature today to do, see the uh, a throne speech. Oh my goodness. Uh, there were staffers, government staffers, that were uh, pushed and shoved uh, by protesters and uh, were injured. Um, mm-hmm. And that yeah. all happened today. And I mean, it's, it's... The thing that bothers me the most about this is that if they were anyone else... If they were any anyone other than
0: First Nations, they would have been arrested already. Well, see that was gonna be my 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 question was about to be where are the police they can't this is one of those things where if you start
1: arresting all these first nations, oh man, it's gonna go international, right, yeah, and you're gonna have you're going to get violent protests across the country at that point. I mean, we've we've seen what what can, how it can go. I mean, we 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 you and I are both old enough to remember Oka.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, and you know I remember some very powerful pictures from Oka when the uh when the Canadian armed forces ended up getting involved and um yeah, some of those images I'll I'll never forget. Yeah. And I mean, this is
1: I don't know. This is this is that. This is, remember, I was talking about back in in the fall when I told you how the BC government uh, brought into uh, legislation UNDRIP, the UN Declaration on it, uh, Rights of Indigenous People. Yep, rights of Indigenous people. Right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and I said this is the beginning of the end for BC that this is going to uh shut down any natural resource uh uh project in this province.
0: It just nothing is ever gonna happen again. Now wait, did you also say at that point in time that you did not want to be right? Yes. Because usually you say that then you end up being right.
1: So <laughs> Yeah. And and now and, and I just didn't honestly I just did not expect it to happen this soon.
0: Yeah, and here we are. You know, and here we are. Later. And
1: yeah, and it's like because the problem with these with UNDRIP is that it assumes that all indigenous people think exactly the same way. Right. Because when when do you say, well, do we have to get a hundred percent of First Nations people to give their consent? If there's one holdout, is that going to stop the project? Or is it a 51% majority? Or is it the uh, elected leaders of the First Nations? Or is it the, uh, do you have to get the elected first leaders and the uh, hereditary chief's approvals? Or is that not good enough either? Because you're, then you're going to have people that are not uh, chiefs of any kind, like whether elected or hereditary, and they're going to say, "Wait, we don't want this. We didn't tell our leaders
0: that that it was okay." That's right. Yeah. So, so who's how how does this even work? Well, and the funny thing is when you bring that up, um, because the Trans Mountain Pipeline Extension is you know, finally being built now. And the most recent court challenges were thrown out of the Supreme Court of Canada again. And one of the judges, when handing the decision down, said, and it's not a direct quote, but effectively what what the judge had said was that consultation does not equal a veto. And that seems to be exactly what they're attempting to do with this project.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, but, but this project has had probably the most thorough consultation process of any project in the history of Canada. Yeah. And yet here, like that's, and yet, but then yet here we are. Yeah. Ridiculous. It is. And, and the thing that, that bothers me too, is that you've got the federal liberal cabinet because, um, you know they've got. Uh, they're washing their hands of all this now, oh, right? Yeah. Because, well, because this is a provincial jurisdiction, right? There's no, um, it's not crossing borders. Oh, okay, this pipeline, right? So it's provincial jurisdiction, and, uh, but the and the province is. I mean, we've got an NDP government, right? And they're mostly uh, virtue signalers mm-hmm. and social justice warriors. And they're having to somehow balance that with we need this pipeline. Right. <laughs> the federal government. Wants nothing to do with this, and I don't blame them for not wanting anything to do with this. Uh, and, and I mean, they've got their own problems with tech frontier in uh, uh, the oil sands, right? Where, where, and then, and and that brings me to to the federal liberal cabinet. I mean, they've got, se- there's, from what I've been hearing, there's like 75% of those MPs are opposed to it. Yet it has passed an environmental assessment. And, but 75% of those MPs are against it because they want to be reelected. Yeah. And, but, but this, that really irritates me because this could mean 10,000 jobs and there's 25% of the of the federal uh, liberal MPs that are that are for it but i mean how it, how are they going to um cuz here here's sorry i i just got so much going on through my head <laughs> in my head right now about this because i'm so angry because i mean Let's look. There was an LNG pipeline that's being built right now that goes from Ontario to Saguenay. And they're building an LNG port in Saguenay to ship LNG from Ontario. Yep. No protests. No federal Liberal MPs are opposing it. No. Nope. The. Malartic uh, gold mine in Quebec. They move fifty-five thousand tons of rock and earth out of that mine every single day. They had to relocate two hundred families out of the way just for the transportation to get to to operate this gold mine. No protests. No federal. MPs were against it. Like federal liberal MPs right. were against it. But this is an Alberta project that has uh we're in a province where they basically get zero uh votes and they're more concerned about getting reelected than 10,000 Albertans
0: getting jobs. Oh yeah. Well, what's funny with that one, and I realized we're kind of straying off the LNG pipeline, but the leader of the Bloc Québécois had actually spoke out about the, the tech frontier, saying that he was uncomfortable with the project, to which I thought, how many Bloc MPs are there in Alberta or west of Quebec, for that matter? How about you shut up, Mr. Blanchet? Just just saying, shut up.
1: Yeah. No, it just, it, it, it irritates me to to no end. And I mean, and and I'm, and this, this is why I'm saying like between what you, you were talking about earlier about how Canadians, like half of Canadians are, are like close to insolvency. We've got, uh, a government that doesn't want to allow, uh, big projects in Western Canada to go ahead. We've got, uh, Taxes being increased on us all the time. I I, I think we're at a breaking point. Well, we've got to be. I think can't, I think Canada is at a breaking point. Like Canadians can't take much more.
0: Well, when we spend more money on taxes than we do on our basic needs—food, shelter, and clothing then, I mean, that's got to be the writing on the wall that there is something wrong with this picture.
1: Yeah. I mean, and people people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we don't. We don't spend that much on tax. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we do, because we're getting taxed on the money we make, and then from what we've got left after taxes, we're then taxed every single time we spend a penny of it on anything. Oh well, yeah, and and now and and they're saying, well, yeah, Justin Trudeau gave us a, a tax. they uh, increased the basic uh, uh, tax. Rate exemption, right? Which, which I, I am in full support of. I, I think it should be higher. Even I think it should be twenty thousand. Um, but yeah, he did. But he also imposed a carbon tax on everybody. So you're not actually getting a tax break from from that. You're probably and still spending more because of the carbon tax and all the other everything in your life gets more expensive because of that carbon tax yeah some families are going to get a rebate for the carbon tax um, but that doesn't stop their food from getting more expensive it doesn't stop their uh, clothing from getting more expensive it doesn't stop everything else in their life from getting more expensive exactly i mean my heating my my heating bills the tax the carbon tax is twice as much as what the actual gas charge was
0: well, i believe that and uh, the agricultural sector which of course is huge in the prairies and northern bc as well northeastern bc and there's uh they the read, an article I'd read recently said that the carbon taxes caused uh, a 12% hit in in uh, profitability. 12% is an awful big chunk of that bottom line.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, especially when you're talking about uh, profit margins of like 10%. Right. Yeah, because 12% of that, I mean that that drops it down to like less than 9% pro- uh, profit margin, and that's that's a big hit for these people to take.
0: Oh, it is. And actually, it was the uh, like Premier Scott Moses, who also is a, a farmer. And he said just for his grain drying uh, expenses in the fall, carbon tax was an extra $3,000. And that was just for, you know.
1: Oh, that's a big hit. That's yeah. a huge hit. And he's not a big farmer. So, <laughs> no, no. I mean, I know for myself, for my business, the uh, the carbon tax hurts. Well, for sure. Uh, I mean, because the nature of my business, I spend a lot of money on fuel and diesel and the carbon tax is, uh, uh, it was a big hit.
0: Yeah, I mean, the sad thing is like being in, and I've probably said this on the show before too, that often businesses can pass those costs down to the consumer. But when it comes to a carbon tax, it's already on the consumer. So there's only so much you can pass along.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, it's not like when I, when I'm charging a customer, I charge them for the gas I use. I I have to somehow figure out, you know, work that into my hourly rates. Right. Exactly, yeah. And so it's, it's not, uh, easy to predict. It's not easy to figure out, but it's, uh, it's, it has, don't, don't let anyone tell you different. It has made life more expensive.
0: Oh, for sure. It has
1: yeah so but yeah I'm, i i'm just so frustrated this this is a week where i'm i'm angry <laughs> yeah. i've got i i i actually have uh my interview with my uh, with, with with dan albus the conservative mp for uh uh well i can't even say the right. it's so long um okanagan similkameen nicola Yeah, he's he's uh my interview with him is tomorrow morning. Um uh there was a mix up with my with his assistant. He gave me the wrong date. So that's why that interview hasn't come out yet. Uh but it will be tomorrow. So um and I actually had a chance, I went to the uh Chamber of Commerce luncheon today and uh and Dan Albus was actually the guest speaker and so he talked quite a bit about uh uh different things that are going on with the the federal government right now and and uh I'm looking forward to talking to him tomorrow because he's uh he's he uh he had a lot to say today so um I'm looking forward to it tomorrow cool. um one thing I wanted to bring up before we uh before we sign off for the for the night is uh The potential new candidate for the Conservative Party leadership. Oh. Uh, Supposedly, we're supposed to find out tomorrow uh, whether or not John Baird is going to be running for the leadership.
0: I'd heard some rumblings about that, and I all I've got to say is, why would he want to? Honestly, he had a very good career, and he had very high-profile cabinet positions, and I thought he was actually excellent in the Harper cabinet. I don't know what he would gain from from le- the leadership of the Conservative Party, honestly. Well, he might save Canada. Well, yeah, well that would be nice. Because,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, believe it or not, he's actually quite popular with uh, swing voters. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't either. I always, I always heard, you know, um, you know the the jokes about him from like uh, liberals and that that he was all, like he's angry, John Baird. Yeah, and, uh, but um, but yeah, swing voters apparently like him, which I understand because I really like him.
0: Oh well, that that's encouraging.
1: And he's uh, he's bilingual.
0: I did not know that either. So there, that's another good sign. Yeah. So I'm. If he does,
1: uh, he would be my early favorite. Um, I do. I actually do quite like Rick Peterson um, from uh, from Edmonton. He's a Edmonton businessman and he's running for the leadership as well. Uh, And I quite like what he has to say. Um, He's got some outside-the-box ideas that back in the Reform Party days were uh, a couple of his ideas were their ideas, Uh, such as... And it's kind of funny because now today it's controversial, but... uh, he actually would like to have a flat income tax which was a reform party policy back in the day and one that I agree with.
0: I like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, he wants everybody pay 15%. I, I don't know if 15% is enough uh, especially when he also wants to have 0% uh, corporate tax.
0: Yeah, that would be a tough sell. 0% corporate tax.
1: Yeah, it would be hard. It would be a hard sell. But when he sold it on um, CTV, and I can't remember if it was on... Um, actually, I don't know if it was CTV or CBC. If it was uh, uh, Question Period or if it was um, Power and Politics uh, with Vashy Kapilos, mm-hmm. Uh Or if it was even... Uh, Yeah, I can't remember which show it was on, but uh, he was on there. They asked him about his policies, and he said 0% corporate tax is what is one of his ideas. And uh, they said, well, where would the government get you know, money? <laughs> and he said, well, 0% corporate tax would allow businesses, especially small businesses, because my business – is a small business. I have like three employees, but it's it's a corporation. Right. Right. Um if my business had zero percent income tax, I would be able to hire another person. True. Yeah. And if and if a, a larger business, like say a hundred employees, if their business suddenly has zero income tax, they could hire even more employees because that money would be freed up to hire more employees or to buy more equipment. Uh, And those new employees, they all pay income tax. They all have, they all can, they all uh, pay sales tax and GST. And, uh, and I, you know, it makes sense. I don't know if it, if the numbers would completely work out, but I know that if I had money freed up uh, by not pay, having to pay corporate tax, I mean, I do pay personal income tax, so it's not like I'm not paying any tax. Hmm. Uh, I pay the same personal income tax rates that everybody else does. Uh, I know my business would be able to afford to uh, hire another employee.
0: Right, yeah. Well, that's, And, that's and so to think it. And,
1: and there's... And the thing is, is like they say, right? You can't tax your country to prosperity. It's you know you got to get people working.
0: Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and if, like if I know you know who Catherine Swift is, like she's uh, she used to be with this Canadian Federation of Independent Business, but she's now with a group called Working Canadians. But she has uh, had pointed out in her previous job that I believe it's like ninety percent of Canadian employees. Work for small and medium-sized businesses.
1: Yeah, no, the majority of the majority of Canadians work for small businesses. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I mean, if you uh, if, so I agree with uh, Mr. Peterson that way that, yeah, you put the money back in the hands of those small businesses, they're going to generate that many more jobs.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, or they'll be able to pay their employees more.
0: Right, which either way still injects more money into the economy, which is really, really needed right now. So.
1: Exactly, because I mean, like, let's. be... I mean, I, it was something that you were. I was thinking about this when you were talking about it earlier about how you know half of Canadians are two hundred bucks or less away from insolvency, and I'm, um, and I was thinking, you know, I've noticed it over the past couple of years. My my wife and I make you know, we make a a decent income and we, we, we live comfortably. But over the past two years, I have noticed that we're having less and less money left over at the end of every month. And, and it's getting to the point where I'm like, geez, like, do we really need this house? (laughs) (laughs) You know, It's like, I would like to have something saved for retirement, right? Like we do, we put money away every month for retirement, but it's getting harder and harder to do that every month.
0: Oh, likewise. Yeah. And I I thought that too, like my, uh, I've got a very reliable vehicle in it, but if I had to replace that vehicle, suddenly it would be, boy, oh boy, it would make things a heck of a lot tougher.
1: Yeah. But I mean, and let's be honest. I mean, let's not sugarcoat things. People are generally in the position they're in because of decisions they've made well, for sure, and oftentimes it's because people they are they're paying twelve hundred dollars a month for a truck they probably don't need right. uh, they could probably get away with a sedan you know or a or a small crossover or something like that that they don't need to spend twelve hundred dollars a month on. I mean, there's a reason why trucks have, you can get like 84 month payment plans on trucks now. Um, Because, I mean, most people don't use their pickup trucks as pickup trucks, they use them as commuter vehicles or running their kids around. Most people don't use, you know, vehicles. That cost eighty thousand dollars for anything that they wouldn't be able to use. Something for forty thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars, true, or even used vehicles, right? Um, They, uh, you know, a lot of people they're buying houses that are too big, you know, too expensive and too big for their income. But the bank says, "Oh yeah, you're approved for five hundred thousand dollars," and they go out and they spend every last penny of that five hundred thousand dollars on a house when they probably could have spent 400,000,
0: you know? Yeah. see a lot of that.
1: There's a lot of that. And, you know, I mean, people going on, you know, vacations every year and, you know, they don't need to go on vacation every year. Uh, you know, there's, but people seem to be, uh, playing, keeping up with the Joneses. um, a lot more today than ever before.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's that's probably accurate. That, I think that's a good point, which uh I mean you're right. I mean personal choices do certainly factor in, but I mean there's no getting around that our tax burden is just obscene. I mean, uh
1: and oh it absolutely you know, is,
0: yeah. Liberals have have never seen anything that they won't tax.
1: Yep. I mean, I, I know like when I was, when I was a kid, it was not that easy to get a credit card. And today, unless you've declared bankruptcy, anybody can get a credit card.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: It doesn't take, it isn't hard to get one today. It's like, but back then, like it was difficult to get a credit card. Like it was, it was not easy. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I think credit is too easy to get today. Um, I think uh, I think people are a little too obsessed with having everything their neighbor has or more. Um, but I do think that the government uh, their tax the tax load is is ridiculous. The uh, just the cost of living is getting out of control, yeah. and a lot of that and a lot of that has to do with government regulations, government taxes, um, and and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right.
1: And I mean, one of the things is too, like here in BC, like we keep talking about getting rid of ICBC. Everybody wants to get rid of ICBC because we pay the highest insurance rates in North America. Oh my gosh. And the, and ICBC still loses a billion dollars a year. (laughs) How in the world does a government, only a government could lose money on a monopoly That is mandatory by that is mandatory by
0: law. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Everybody who drives in BC has to buy insurance from ICBC and ICBC is the only seller of insurance and they still lose a billion dollars a year. Only government can do that.
0: That is true.
1: (laughs) It's the same thing with cannabis. Only government can lose money selling cannabis.
0: Yep. Yeah. And And they they do supply. Yeah.
1: And yeah, and they do in B.C. and Ontario. I don't know about the other jurisdictions, but in B.C. and Ontario, both the government, the governments are losing money on cannabis. That's crazy. (laughs) Like, I don't. Yeah. Like I said, I think Canada and Canadians are at a breaking point and something's really got to give.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. and I think that's probably a a good good a spot as any to wrap it up for the night here i uh yeah something's got to change i mean i can't feel it in the air yet but i think you're right we are at that breaking point so i mean something does have to give
1: yeah absolutely
0: all right well well there thank you canada for joining us and uh we're definitely looking forward to your discussion with with mp dan alvis tomorrow so uh, watch out for this show, Canada. And shortly thereafter, we I'm sure that uh, Lewis will be broadcasting the interview with Diane Elvis. So stay tuned for a lot of Canadian common sense over the next few days. And without a doubt, you will probably hear a couple of rants be- from either one of us or both of us before the next show on Monday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, good night, Canada. We'll talk to you soon.
0: and Tony.